Welcome, one and all, to another episode of ENN, Exiles Network News, your favorite news podcast where we hit on all the greatest and latest entertainment news topics in the most vicious, fun, rambunctious exile style. Joined with me today are two scoundrels from our roster of exiles. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? What's up, man? I am uh, fighting a cold. I don't care. Time to talk movies. Let's do it. Let's do it. And Paul, how are you doing? Doing well, guys. Looking forward to our weekly chat. All right, let's get into it. So we have uh, some nice topics to talk about today. Uh, This is the itinerary. The Last of Us 2 has been delayed. Tears and crying everywhere. (sighs) (laughs) Benioff and Weiss have been uh, taken away from their promised Star Wars trilogy. Blood Moon, which is supposed to be the upcoming Game of Thrones prequel, has been rejected from series order by HBO. And in its place is going to be House of the Dragon. Naomi Harris, who plays Moneypenny in the latest Bond movies said that a money penny film was rejected and we're going to talk about joker box office and in our coming soon section we're going to talk about two trailers one for the king starring timothy chalamet and the mandalorian pew 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 from the star wars franchise i like your uh, star wars sound effects that was <laughs> oh, very good very awesome good. I've, I've been practicing all week thank you on par with george lucas man right on par. <laughs> all right <laughs> So, let's start with The Last of Us 2 delay. We've talked about The Last of Us on this podcast before. We're fans of it because of how cinematic it is. And, unfortunately, it's been pushed back three months from its uh, announced release date, which was supposed to be February 21st of 2020. It's been pushed to... May 29th of 2020. So guys, I'm sad to bring you bad news. I hate giving bad news to good people. What do you guys think about this delay? I'm I'm bummed. I'm I'm really bummed with this. Uh you know, you just you just hit on something a couple minutes ago. Uh some of the video games that we're getting today are like movies that you are interacting with. It's incredible. True. The cinemat- the cinematography is out of control. They're getting these amazing voice actors. The graphics have come so far. And you really feel like you're just immersed into part of the game. And you're the character. So you, in Last of Us 1, you feel the terror that Joel and Ellie were feeling, especially Mm -hmm. from the clickers, by the way, because they were insane. They were insane. And they created an amazing world in Last of Us 1. And the fear that you felt through all four seasons and the journey with Ellie and the fireflies and everything. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know there is one person, uh, there's gotta be somebody out there that has not played the game from beginning to end. So I will not spoil anything, but the ending is such a shock. Last of us was not a perfect game, but it was pretty damn close. I have been waiting for last of us Two, just like thousands of other people. And this is yeah. so disappointing. And I will say this before I, I, I put it to Paul. Um, I like what the director said. He sent out that letter recently and he said, look, we have a choice. We either give you guys the game on time and Mm -hmm. it's not going to be a hundred percent or we wait a couple of months and the game will be a hundred percent because we have such a huge legacy to live up to. Mm -hmm. But 
dude, they, they started developing in this game in 2014. What is going mm. on? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, true. Yeah. I'm really disappointed here. I really am. But I am so looking forward to this, man. I'm going to be, I'm still, I'm, I'm pre-ordering it. I'm still buying it. But this hurts my heart a little bit. <laughs> I hear you. Paul, what do you have to say about The Last of Us? All right, this might be a little uh, sacrilegious here, but uh, I've not played Last of Us 1. No! I, uh, oh! I, I, as I was telling Christian, I'm right now in the process of catching up on uh, 2011 through 2013 PS3 gaming, and uh, I'm having a great time finding games for, uh, you know, five bucks used. It's, uh, it's, it's my sweet spot right now, so uh, give me about eight years to catch up, and I'll let you know what I think. <laughs> okay. Well, the, the good thing is, you're going to get to experience it for the first time. And there's nothing like experiencing The Last of Us for Damn the first right. time. Damn it's, right. I mean, this is not a gaming podcast, but the reason why we're able to talk about The Last of Us is because of how cinematic it is. Sometimes people talk about video game to film translation. And a lot of times people mention The Last of Us. But you know the truth about it? You cannot translate this to a film. Because it's already been done in as cinematic a fashion as can possibly ever be done. The storytelling is complete. The storytelling is excellent. Mm -hmm. It really can't be done better. And as Christian said, the last time we played this was 2013. So the the game is going to come out in almost 10 years time in about, you know, seven years from, from, the, from the last one. And that's a long wait. That's and it had better game. be worth it. Mm -hmm. I believe it will be. Because from what we've seen of, of teasers, uh, it looks like, you know, the story has evolved. Characters have aged a little bit. And it looks like it's, you know, that same amazing sort of cinematic storytelling with great musical score, great emotion, great drama. And I really can't wait. But I agree that if they needed to wait just three months to make it perfect, I'd rather that than us get a game that doesn't live up to the legacy of The Last of Us. Yeah, I agree. Especially because in this game, it looks like they're really going to take the violent actions that she had and, and Joel have had to do for the last whatever years that we've seen them since Last of Us and the toll it takes on them as human beings. And, I, dude, if you're going to do it, do it right. Do it right. I can't That's all wait. I'm saying. I can't wait. Going to have to wait, but I can't at the same time. <laughs> so let's move to um some other controversial news it could be good it could be bad depending on how you take it <laughs> benioff and weiss the i swear like right now is there any other persons that are having as torrid a time in sort of the public eye in terms of like, you know, dealing with, you know, these franchises being directors and storytellers <laughs> as Benioff and Weiss. They open their mouths anywhere they get into trouble. People hate them for the last season of Game of Thrones, even though people admit that Game of Thrones is the best series, the biggest series, the most successful and prestigious series ever. It just took one season for people to completely turn on them. And now they've departed their proposed Star Wars trilogy that was supposed to, you know, set a story apart from the Skywalker uh, saga. What do you guys think of Benioff and Weiss being of Star Wars? Does this have anything to do with their Netflix series like uh, the press release says? Or what do you think? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll start, Lupe. Um, you know, I... Um... 
I think it, it must. I mean, they, they've got, what, a $200 million uh, contract with Netflix, so that's got to have something to do with it. Yeah. 250 man. It's 250. 250. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know what exactly it is they're, they're working on. I don't know if you guys have any information on that yet. Or no, if it's nobody does. They're, just, so, they're, they're working on just counting their money. That's it. Right. Well, that's, that's a lot of money to count. It should, should keep them busy. But, uh, you know, I, I think I think there's that for sure. It's going to keep them busy. But also, uh, as you mentioned, uh, they're not uh, – a little bit of uh, the luster was taken off of their names um, after those last – in my mind, the last two seasons of Game of Thrones. So uh, I – like you said, it's it's probably my favorite television series of all time. But I thought there was a steep decline in uh, in quality the last two seasons, especially. I think it was halfway through season seven when they started playing really fast and loose with the uh, some of the fantasy elements and the the realism and the the time to travel and 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 it really makes you question, um, you know how how good they are without the source material that Martin brought to the show. Um, so I, I had my doubts. But that being said, I love the idea that they were maybe going to go back and do the Old Republic because uh, that that really does interest me right now in terms mm-hmm. of uh, of Star Wars. And and my biggest fear with them departing is that uh, are we still going to get the Old Republic? And if we do, who's doing it? And please, please don't let it be Ryan Johnson. And uh, <laughs> you know, as far as I know, we still got Star Wars movies coming up uh, th- three uh, every two years, starting in three years, right? So they got to find mm-hmm. someone soon and decide on what they're doing and. Uh, if I had my choice between Benioff and Weiss and Ryan Johnson, I'm going Benioff and Weiss. Wow. So so bad bad news for me, I guess, but uh, who knows <laughs> who they'll bring on. I'll, I'll wait and see. All right. Christian, what do you think? I, I think uh, Paul nailed it on a bunch of things. I don't know if it's bad or good news yet at all. And, you know, we, we tend to look at this stuff from creative standpoints. And you're right. Benioff and Weiss can't say a damn thing right now without – I mean, they kept quiet for a while. And then they come out the other day and make a comment. And everybody jumps on them as soon as they make a comment. But you have to look at this stuff through a business lens, right, uh, no matter what, because the studio wants to make money. And I think you have to look at this at the as Disney Plus versus Netflix. I think you have to look at it through that lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and – we have spoken about in this pod before that it sounds like Ryan Johnson is quote unquote still on the payroll, but Disney's not dumb. And they saw the, the, I may have loved last Jedi. Lupe may have loved last Jedi, but half the fandom didn't. And the other half did. So they have to deal with this moving forward. If they see anything that could potentially move star Wars in a direction that they don't want it to go, they're going to have to act. Now. I don't know if Benoff and wife and Weiss are definitely that if they're going to move them in that direction or not, but I think business definitely had something to do with it. I think that they looked at it and there's conflicting reports between Variety and THR, right, with Hollywood Reporter. Hollywood Reporter is saying, oh, there's anger there because Kathleen Kennedy said there was no way that they were ever going to have an opportunity to uh, work on our stuff while they're working on Netflix's stuff. And If you don't like what Star Wars is doing, you probably slap them in the face with this now and say, come on, guys, what are you doing? If you don't like mm-hmm. Benioff and, and, and Weiss, you probably go, ha, huh? <laughs> you know what I mean? There's all <laughs> kinds of ways to spin this. I think there's a lot of ways we could spin this. Right now, Star Wars, Kathleen's just got to get on the ball. All we know is that we got Mandalorian and a bunch of other stuff coming up on Disney+. Plus. We know we got the Kevin Feige movie. Other than that, everything else is sitting in development. So Star Wars is obviously going to move forward. We just don't know what's going to happen right now. Yeah, um... For me, I I definitely think that Netflix had a role to play in them, you know, departing from Star Wars. It could be for a number of reasons, but I see as they definitely had a safety net to fall into. So if they got into any beef with Kathleen Kennedy in terms of the direction they wanted to go, they could mm-hmm. be like, hey, 
we got a two hundred million dollar payday waiting for us with yeah. creators who appreciate us. So we're out the door. Probably they didn't have that Netflix deal. Whatever mm -hmm. Kathleen Kennedy wanted them to do, even if it was against their wishes, they could have capitulated. They could have, you know, caved in and been like, "Oh man, okay, we don't like this, but we'll do it." But with Netflix in the in the bag, they're like, Psh, "We're gone. We don't need this." So uh, I think that that's probably where Netflix comes into play in all of this. But I'm really not surprised because when they signed the Netflix deal, I always saw that conflict of interests because Netflix and Disney are direct competitors. So Absolutely. it just never made sense for me for Benioff and Wise to be creating powerful content for their direct competitor while they have this massive overall deal for Netflix mm -hmm. and then Netflix has to wait their turn. The whole thing just seemed out of sorts and it seems like the universe has sorted everything into the right order. So I personally, I'm very excited for what they're going to be creating for Netflix. I'm a huge fan of theirs. I think that they really tended to the Game of Thrones IP very well and they built it up from something that only a very few people knew about and only a, a very few people followed to the most gigantic popular runaway freight train of a television program <laughs> that's ever been created Game so of I'm very, was insane man it, it was, was insane. insane like and the reason why people are so passionate about how they dislike the last franchise is because of the work that benioff and weiss did taking it to that point you know, so I'm very curious to see what they will do on Netflix as long as they're given the requisite budget and creative freedom. I know they're going to do absolutely incredible stuff and I can't wait for it. I honestly feel that it's Star Wars loss and it may be. Yeah, maybe. And, and echoing me. Paul's and, and echoing Paul's point, I hope we don't lose the old Republic because of this. That's I, what I, hope. I hope so. I hope so. And I'm just curious and, and a little bit I, bewildered about how Kathleen Kennedy is just burning through directors and coming into conflict with so many people. And, you know, even the people that she's aligned with, they're, you know, putting out output that is quite divisive and controversial. It's it's a mess over there. Without she derailing can't. us here, I'm going to uh, I'm going to throw in my uh, my suggestion for director for uh for Old Republic. I think you guys Go might have uh, have an idea where I'm going. Uh-oh. What, 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 what guess, Lupe? Come uh -oh. on. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. He's going to do it. There's only one man. There's only one man. You got to say it. It's got to be Zack Snyder. How perfect would that be? I wouldn't wish working, on, working with Disney on Snyder right now. I don't think no, he needs no. that kind of uh, scrutiny and people looking over his shoulder. But exactly. boy, would that be perfect. Yeah, no, I, you know, I don't. I think that Zack Snyder's sensibilities work towards Old Republic, whether you like him or not. His style is quite, uh, for lack of a better word, people say, you know, dark, but it's, you know, noirish is probably the better word to use for it. He deals with very, you know, complicated morality, complex ideas. He deals with, a lot with mythology and fantasy. He knows how to make things look iconic. He would do exceedingly well working with like Siths and Old Republic and even like, you know, Arcane Jedi. But the Star Wars franchise and Star Wars fans are the most unforgiving, unkind, brutal fans. I just, I don't want him anywhere near that. I, I think he's had enough of very uh, harsh fans. I personally want him to just go and create original stuff from now. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. But boy, would it be cool to have him make a Star yeah. Wars, uh, especially dream. set in the old Republic or Darth Bane. I don't know if either of you guys have read the Darth Bane trilogy. Yeah, but yeah, 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 yes. yeah, yeah. He would be perfect for that. No, it's right, right up his alley, tone wise, uh, and, and philosophy wise. It's great. From Benny Up and Weiss to more <laughs> Game of Thrones is a good segue. Our next topic is about what HBO is going to do going forward with the Game of Thrones franchise. So the first bit of news that we heard was that they rejected the pilot for Blood Moon. Uh, Paul, could you give us a synopsis of what Blood Moon was going to yeah, be? Absolutely. So uh, this was a synopsis that was uh, released by HBO. Uh, it reads, Taking place thousands of years before the events of Game of Thrones, the series chronicles the world's descent from the golden age of heroes into its darkest hour. From the horrifying secrets of Westeros' history to the origin of the White Walkers, the mysteries of the East to the Starks of legend, only one thing is for sure. It's not the story we think we know. That sounds, that to me sounds incredible. I mean, I generally am not the biggest fan of prequels as it is, but to me, that sounded pretty cool. And they casted a bunch of people they casted naomi watts as the lead she's a very very good actress if you guys haven't seen gypsy which is her recent netflix drama you should watch it it's like a psychological sexy psychological thriller kind of thing but i was very very surprised that this was rejected because i've been seeing um behind the scenes photos and leaks and they've been casting people and i thought this was like a no-brainer like, I was actually having a conversation with a friend who was like, oh, you know, they're taking the pilot to HBO. And I was like, oh, that's just, that's semantics. That's just, you know, pomp and circumstance. Like, they're going to put it forward. So I was very shocked that it was rejected. Uh, Christian, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm the same. You know, one of the, uh, I'm like you, Lupe. I did enjoy the final two seasons of Game of Thrones. However, I was disappointed in some of the things that also disappointed Paul, mainly the traveling and some of the condensed mm -hmm. timeline. Uh, however, I always enjoyed the fact that you were watching a political, you know, family, the, 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 the violence, right? The mm -hmm. fighting between the families and everything like that and the War of the Kings and stuff. And you had this fantasy magic that was brewing in the background. It was always there. The world was still being run by magical rules. And we never really got the chance to see who the Night King was and everything like that. We had our theories that he was a Stark and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And it, it, we saw his creation, but we don't know much more than that. And we never got a chance to see the first men aligning with the children of the forest and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really think we would have gotten a chance to see all that. I'm, I'm disappointed that we're missing out on this show. There were supposed to be like four spinoffs at one point mm -hmm. for Game of Thrones. Yeah. And yeah. this, to me, was the one that was the, the most interesting to me. Mm -hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't want to trash on somebody else who doesn't want to see this. But... Yeah, to see that, like the, maybe almost like the birth of magic, if you will, and mm -hmm. where the, the the land of always winter, and where the white. Why do White Walkers hate men so much? Mm -hmm. Why do mm -hmm. they dislike us? Why? Why did the first men have to ally with the children of the forest and everything? And the and the original Starks. We're gonna miss mm -hmm. out on all that. Maybe we'll get it in the future. But I am disappointed that we're we're missing out on that. Paul, do you want to expand on that? I'll add a little bit. I mean, I um I think I echo both of your sentiments. This this is the synopsis that 
that interested me. This is the one I'd want to see. And, um, you know, I, I was left with a bit of a bad taste in my mouth from Game of Thrones, but overall, I still love the series. I don't know that I want more in that time, that, that time frame, and I don't necessarily mm-hmm. know that uh, I want to go um, to a, sm- a smaller scale story. I, want, I like this, uh, this mm-hmm. epic uh, idea of thousands of years ago, the age of heroes uh, descending into the darkest hour that you, you hear about in the history of... Um, you know of Westeros in in uh, in Game of Thrones. This is what I would have wanted to see. So I'm I'm disappointed in some ways. Uh, you know, not to drag Star Wars back into it, but I will very briefly. This to me feels like the old Republic to Star mm-hmm. Wars, whereas instead mm-hmm. they're they're going to scrap the old Republic and give you the history of Han Solo. Um, yeah. So you tell me, would you rather have the history of Han Solo or do you want the old Republic? I I want the old Republic. So yeah. So so that that's a good segue into HBO Max's big announcements was that the game of thrones series that they're going forward with will be house of dragon which has been straight you know fast tracked to green light with 10 episode uh 10 episodes ordered and it's going to be show run by george rr R. martin and michelle sapoknoff i think i'm butchering his name my apologies <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll forgive you this time He's the director of many of the biggest episodes of Game of Thrones, like Battle of the Bastards and, you know, just the most iconic Game of Thrones episodes. So what do you guys think of them choosing to go with the Game of Thrones series that focuses on the house of the Targaryens and how, you know, they came to power? Okay, I'll give you this much. Fire and Blood is what this is based on. Mm-hmm. And George Martin recently came out and said, you know, this is going to be two volumes. The first volume was written, I believe, a year ago this this week. I think it was or not written, but it came out a year ago uh, in 2018 this week. I read it. If you guys haven't, it's long. It's long. It, it, it's it's typical George R. R. Martin. He he's he goes into a lot of detail uh, yeah. in his in his books. He shifts uh, the point of view which is fine, you know, the perspective mm-hmm. and everything, he'll shift it from character to character. And the Targaryens are a, di- they're a dynasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really are. And they ruled for a long time before Robert's rebellion. I think it's an interesting time period, but I think what Paul just said a couple of minutes ago is a hundred percent spot on. If mm-hmm. you're asking me, do I want to hear about this awesome history that brought them to where they were and got Westeros to the point that they were, or do I just want to hear about Daenerys's, ancestors fighting with one another i'm, I'm gonna pick the former i want to i want to mm-hmm. see the bigger history the, i still think we're gonna get political intrigue and maybe your dragons will come into it and everything like mm-hmm. that but how is this how is this more interesting than what we were gonna get i i, I don't get it either i like i echo your sentiments so basically it's it's a it's three of three of a kind because i think with house of the dragon they played it very safe yes they know that people love danny they right. know that people love the Targaryens. They know that people love dragons. You're going to get a lot of dragons. You're going to get the most epic, massive, humongous dragon that you're that's ever, like, been in, you know, the Seven Kingdoms. You're going to get all that stuff. And they just figured that this would be a safe route to take and guarantees them audience and a thrill ride. But I think that Blood Moon, from what we hear of the synopsis in that time period, it would have been... It would have given us more diverse characters. I think it would have given us more diverse uh, fancy elements mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like the sort of magic that you're seeing, the sort of creatures you're seeing. And I think that it's so far removed, being a thousand years, from 
the last uh, Game of Thrones, Song of Fire and Ice, that it wouldn't have felt like this sort of cheap, lazy, tacked on thing. Because that's the way I feel the prequels come off. And guys, prequels don't work. It seems like a safe bet. It seems like, oh, they're just being lazy and they're just being safe by making a prequel. But prequels never work. I challenge either one of you, Paul or Christian, tell me a prequel for a major franchise that has worked. Well, the prequel series for Star Wars, I think, stands on its own. But uh, but I know what you're saying. When you when you bring out but, a prequel... Yeah, but, uh, but let's but, keep it real. The prequel series was hated by a lot of people. It made... George Lucas never want to create another yeah. Star Wars. Movie. No, it's, it's I, and, and I like you're it. right. I yeah. personally yeah. they like didn't it. capture the magic of the original trilogy. Right. They just didn't. Like, people have yeah. people have warmed up to them over time, but yeah, they certainly yeah. weren't well received at the time. Exactly. Um, and, and and it just I think part of it is that you kind of already know how it ends. That takes away a lot of the excitement. You like go. you're just you're filling in a gap. Um, you know, it's kind of like Rogue One, right? Like Rogue One, I actually really enjoyed, but. I mean, you know, you know where it ends. It's just you're just tracing a two-hour path to getting there, okay. and uh, I like the you know the, the the grandeur and the scale of the one that got canceled, and and it's so far in the past and so far removed from the eight years we just spent watching uh, the current run that it feels different. It feels fresh. Mm-hmm. It feels like they have room to be more creative. Um, mm. I don't necessarily need to spend another two or three seasons or more in the same world we just spent eight seasons. We'll see how it all plays out. Game of Thrones is a massive IP. And even if we have our reservations, even if we didn't like the way that season eight ended or we love the way it ended, we're going to tune in and we're going to see how it goes. So let's pivot on to the next topic. And this is about the Bond franchise. (laughs) I love Bond. Like, guys, this is one of my favorite franchises ever when you talk of like nostalgia when you talk like my childhood i was like a little kid watching girls almost naked running around being sexually harassed and physically assaulted by and usually given copious amounts of alcohol yes (laughs) but i turned out i turned out okay and, what, what does it say that I remember the guy with the chrome grill? That's that's my memory of Bond. What was his name? I'm worried about Jaws. you, man. Jaws. I'm worried oh, about Jaws. Jaws. That's right, Jaws. Yeah. Jaws. In today's news, Naomi Harris says that she and director Barry Jenkins, Academy Award winning Barry Jenkins, he directed Moonlight, he directed If Bill Street Could Talk, they took a solid idea for a Money Penny film to the producers of Bond and they were rejected. So this is the quote. Yes, Jenkins has wanted to do a kind of badass kick action thing with Money Penny, which I'm all for, actually. I got together with Barbara Broccoli, our producer, and I was like, let's make this happen. But she wasn't so down for it. But maybe one day, who knows, the conversation has started at least. That's what Naomi Harris said. So, guys, what do you think of a Naomi Harris starring money penny film in the bond franchise i i I can put it up front that i love harris i I think she's fantastic um but uh, that's that's besides many reasons (laughs) yeah there's there's a lot of reasons both yes i so i can look at her but also her chops her acting chops I, i i i love her so i i i wish her the best and i hope we get this however 
Same as you. I'm not uh, as big of a Bond fan as you, but I am married to a Bond fan who is as big uh, a Bond fan as you are. And, wow. Uh, yes. That is awesome. My, my wife is a huge Bond fan, and which which kind of makes lucky me a Bond guy. fan too, right? Yeah, I'm a lucky guy. I mean, get me, come on, really. I mean, I get to go see <laughs> these movies. I think now, while we can have the conversation on another pod one day that not everything needs to be a movie franchise and a connected universe, I think it's pretty cool that they were looking to kind of expand out from just having 007. Mm -hmm. And James Bond always has been a reflection of the times, right? So mm -hmm. yeah. Star Wars exploded and we got Moonraker mm -hmm. and the Soviet Union fell and we got Goldeneye. Mm -hmm. And now with everything that's going on, you have a person of color, a woman mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. could potentially lead the franchise concurrently to mm -hmm. having the next James Bond after Daniel Craig yeah. leads the role. I see it as a lost opportunity. That's Pretty me. Well. I think you can bring other fans into the franchise. I, if they do it right, and I think with this group, they could have done it right. I see it as a miss, missed opportunity. Paul, what do you think? All right. I was afraid you were going to ask. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know what? I like the start of Daniel Craig's run. I'm not a huge Bond fan, but I have very much enjoyed certain certain Bond films. Um, I, I like the more recent stuff. Uh, it's a little um, less campy. Though. I liked I liked mm -hmm. Craig's films uh, as they say the last one i couldn't even get through i tried twice i fell asleep twice i gave up so do i want a money penny film based off this series no i don't i mean to me this is like uh this is like pennyworth uh this is a uh, you know mm. if you put it on a streaming service mm -hmm. it's kind of niche maybe people would watch it i at least that's my impression of it i could be way off i could be way underestimating uh how big the bond fan base is but I'm gonna have enough trouble getting interested in the next Bond film. Never mind uh, a Money Penny spinoff, uh, and especially not especially not theatrically. Wow. I mean, so <laughs> they count me out for this one. I think, I think they made I think they made the right call on this one. Did you hear that? He he cocked the gun. It was ch -ch boom, <laughs> dude. Killer. Sorry, All sorry, right. Lupe. I don't I don't mean to hurt you like that, but I had I, I had, I to, had to give you the truth. I appreciate the honesty. Exiled for a reason, as we say, but. But I will say I I echo Christian's sentiments. Huge missed opportunity for many reasons. Let's first start with just the talent involved. Barry Jenkins and Naomi Harris. Mm. Why would you ever turn them down for what? I, these are the type of people that you just say, do whatever you want. Take the money, <laughs> take the name, and do whatever the hell you want. So that's the first place where I feel they missed out. Then also, as Christian said, the times that we're in now are, are the times of aggressively and consciously empowering women and including them in our, our, our storytelling, in our mythology, in everything that's, that's going on. And I feel like the Bond franchise definitely should not get left behind. If you watch a lot of Bond movies, they are definitely toxically misogynistic but oh, that's yeah. the fun of it it's a male fantasy i don't apologize for it a lot of bond no, fans know that yeah it uh, is yeah, yeah it, is it is what it is, it is. Yeah, yeah it is it is what it is but there are ways in which you can update the 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 mythology and update the storytelling and having a money penny film is a very organic way to do it a very natural way to do it it doesn't have to be the highest biggest budget movie ever made so financially it doesn't have to be an incredible risk and i think that this is a million times better of an idea 
than trying to make a female bond movie. Yes. I like, I, it's more natural. It's, it's more, natural. more natural. I, I'm completely against the female bond movie because I think that's lazy. That's lazy. Think, that's just forcing it in there. And this this character has already been in the field. Exactly. The character's already been there. Exactly. I, I, I always have felt that we do need female characters, but there is no need for females to take on the names and personas of male legacy characters. It comes off as as if they still need men in a way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Money Penny is a character that can stand on her own. She's a very interesting character. She's always been interesting. And people have always wondered, like, what else does she do apart from be this sort of, you know, secretary to M and this sort of liaison? And we saw a little bit of her, you know, wielding a gun mm-hmm. in, uh, it was, it wasn't Spectre. It was the one before Spectre. Skyfall. Yes. Yeah, it was Skyfall. Yeah, so we know she has a little bit of, you know, field work, field operative, you know, sort of thing going on with her. And and there's so many ways you can take it. Absolutely. I think it's it's a huge missed opportunity. What I like is that Naomi Harris didn't shut the door. She said the conversation has started. And I hope the conversation continues. And I hope that the producers are convinced. I do too, and I think it could be a nice transition to the next Bond if they decided to do that. It could. Absolutely, absolutely. You could, yeah, you could have them running concurrently. There's no reason you can't have them. There both. is no reason. Yeah, yeah. And so, next up, let's talk about the number one movie in the world right now. Who would have thunk it? <laughs> Joker. When Joker was first announced, it was met with ridicule, with questions. It was met with the customary DC animosity and negativity from all the talking heads on the internet and everywhere. And it's been killing it at the box office. Apart from the fact that the critical ratings are largely positive, the audience reaction is through the roof. It's become a pop culture phenomenon. It has made to date Eight hundred and fifty-six million dollars. It's margin towards a billion, and it hasn't even had the luxury of opening in China. And we suspect that it won't. So, guys, what what do these box office numbers, you know, say to you? And where do you think the film will end its uh, theatrical run? Uh, let's start with Paul. Uh, well, I mean, I think I think the obvious positive is it shows it shows you can have a uh, a serious dark film. It doesn't have jokes, and you know, for those of us that are frustrated with the Marvel formula, that that's a win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think this movie's exceeded expectations. Uh, it obviously exceeded expectations, but I, I think um, you know, even despite its quality, I, I'm I'm shocked at the at the box office for this, and I think that narrative that was being created. You know, right from the script leak about how this was going to fuel incel violence, I think, I think they created such a hype storm that it actually uh, worked in favor of the film in in some ways. I think it created interest that this might not have otherwise received. Uh, so, um, you know, I, as I say, I'm surprised. It's uh, I think it's a good thing. Um, I don't know if it's going to hit a billion. I don't really care if it hits a billion. I mean, I, I'm not a, I don't see a penny of it, and, and uh, I'm not into. Uh, using box office to brag about uh, the movies I like. So, um, hey, good for it. It's got good legs. It seems to have having seems to be having small uh, weekly declines. And, uh, hey, hopefully we'll get more serious tone films. 
Christian, what do you think? I echo some of you know Paul's points there, so I, I don't need to rehash them, and I think he's right. I am happy that a movie like this is making money. I, the three of us talk a lot, and I talk on other Exiles pods, about how we don't care about money, and deep down inside we don't because we're not the ones making the money. However, if the movies don't make the money, they don't get made. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we still don't know what the hell Warner Brothers is going to do, right? We have no clue. Uh, this movie can make $2 billion, and we have no idea what they're going to do next because they really haven't talked about DC Dark or anything like that. But I'm so happy that you had this, you had Deadpool 1 and 2, and you had Logan, and all four of these movies were successful. It shows there's a market for it, and it shows these movies should be made. I love the MCU guys. I'm not going anywhere. I un- unashamedly love those movies, and mm-hmm. I will love them forever. And I give me more. Everything that's coming with the Eternals and all this stuff, I don't care. Give me, give me, give me, give me. I want it. <laughs> However, at the same time, there is zero reason why we can't have this. And I do believe that some of the quasi-controversy that we saw out there definitely fueled some of this. Who cares? I don't care. That's fine. Let, let people go to see it because of the controversy. If they walked out of the theater saying this was a good freaking movie, it did its job because it was a good movie. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really do. I think, uh, I'm with Paul. I don't know. I don't know if I feel comfortable making a final box office prediction prediction. I doubt it makes a billion, but I could see it going over 900 mil. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's probably not going to release in China. It doesn't even need it. That's incredible. It's incredible yeah. guys. So I just hope it's, uh, it continues the trend. Even if we only get a couple of these every now and then we need them. We need mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you guys have basically, you know, covered the gamut of, of everything that these numbers, you know, say to us. But there's something quite interesting about this when you think of what Warner Brothers is going to learn from, from this and how they're going to apply that towards the type of stories that they tell in the future. Now, we know that for a while, Warner Brothers took a bit of a critical and... Uh, film Twitter, talking heads, backlash <laughs> against their movies being darker. Unfairly so, because they didn't even put out a lot of dark movies. They only had two or three dark movies compared to Marvel, who had like 15 lighthearted, fun movies. So it was kind of a weird angle for people to take to claim that there was this oversaturation of dark movies and we didn't need dark movies, when we all agree that what we need is variety. We need companies to make dark ones, and if Marvel's making light ones, if we're making R-rated ones, let everybody make what they like, and let people be able to choose from the cornucopia of um, films out there. So Warner Brothers went ahead and did this sort of very brutal, brutish, clumsy course correction, in which they were rejigging their films, they were re-editing their films. They were reshooting their films. They were firing directors midstream, hiring Marvel's roster of directors, um, and changing their whole modus operandi to make their films have this light-hearted tone. And there was this code word, uh, code phrase of hope and optimism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we saw that happen with. Suicide Squad, the reason why it feels so, the story and the structure feels so bad is because it was re-edited to try to make it quote-unquote more fun. Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman's third act went through a lot of reshoots, and that's why when you watch the film, the third act feels clumsy. There's a lot of talking. It just, you know, doesn't work very well. It's the weakest part of the film. 
We have Justice League. We know that, that one ended up being a dis- absolute disaster thanks to Joe Sweden and Jeff Johns, and now people want the Snyder cuts. Then Shazam, which you know critics tend to like. Aquaman was lighthearted as well. Now Joker came out of left field, and people were actually quite surprised that WB greenlit it. And the reason why is because WB actually didn't fully greenlight it. The rumor is that. WB one the fact is that they split the production costs with about three other production companies. So WB is not even seeing the full windfall of the profits from this film. Also, Which, <laughs> you have to keep your thought. Don't don't lose your thought. All right, you, you gotta laugh. I mean, how do you? What the hell? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the irony. <laughs> Don't even know what this. I'm that, gonna shut that, up now. That's a great okay. point. I'd forgot about that as well. I wish I'd remember that. But uh, go ahead, Lupe, because that that is actually great. And also, it was said that they reduced the budget so much in the hope that Todd Phillips would just quit and go away. The the film they only gave him about a 55 million budget. I think during production he pushed it to about 60. But the history of the Joker film is that the idea and the genesis of it was actually sort of like grin lit a little bit by Greg Silverman, who was the WB president before the new president, Toby Emmerich, came in, who changed everything. Mm-hmm. Usually when there's a change at the top, some projects get kicked out the door that were stirred by other people. He was able to convince them over the process of a year and they begrudgingly let him do it. And they reduced, they reduced their risk because they didn't want anything to do with anything that was serious, anything that had any dark darkness or complexity to it. And it happens to be that this is their most successful film, period, since the times of The Dark Knight. So I, I wonder how confused they're going to be, how disappointed it's almost like a bittersweet kind of thing. And I wonder what they're going to do going forward. But I thought that was very, very interesting. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And I don't know if they know what they're going to do. I mean, Aquaman made a bill, right? So yeah, Aquaman made a billion dollars. So they can look at both of these and say, okay, if you were smart, you you would say they would look at both of these and say, guys, we have a path, right? We can yeah. do DC Dark. We can do all this. Stuff. We can have our connected DCEU, which does not have to emulate the MCU. We can kind of do our own thing. But they throw, excuse my language, they throw shit up against the wall. They see if it sticks. They have no plan. As a comic book fan, it it pisses me off. It's just have a plan. And they don't have, and when they have it, they don't stick with it. You don't have to like what Snyder did. That's fine. You don't have to like what he did. I don't always like what he did. But he had a plan. Mm -hmm. And then they they took a crap on it. I just, I'm sorry. I'm getting upset. I'm just passionate. No, no, no. It's a fact. I always say this. DC fans always, you know, are eternally going to try to crap on Marvel films. And I say this, no matter what you think of Marvel films, they know exactly what they're doing and they do it well. They stick to their guns and they follow through. You can never take that away from Marvel. That's something I'll always applaud them for doing and something I'll always give them credit for doing. And it's something that DC just, DC has just shut themselves in the foot so many times. And so So this Joker is is just another sign of that, and I do not know what lessons they're going to take from that. I don't know if this is even going to make them even way more confused. That's the problem. I'm a comic fan first. I'm a movie fan second when it comes to this stuff. I'm a movie fan in general, but I'm a comic fan first when it comes to this. And they have not been good stewards of the comic book characters that I love. And that's what really bothers me. Paul, you were going to say something. I interrupted you. Yeah, no, I, just, I was just going to say, you know, it. Uh, 
you, the, you would hope that the the best outcome from this is that this would reflect poorly on Toby Emmerich. You know, he uh, I think he is largely responsible for what happened to Justice League for the course yeah. correction. Yeah. Um, and then he had no faith in this project and it ended up being a tremendous victory of which they couldn't fully reap the rewards because he had no confidence in the project so you think please he i mean this is the last guy involved in the butchery of justice league we just need yeah. to get rid of him but then just today he gets extended so you know yeah, it's, I don't think it's the hard extension to say is, the extension is just it's it's customary it's customary their wb is going through a tumultuous time right now so they need a they lot are. of stability you know so yeah, they are yeah yeah it's par for the course but let's move on to our next topic in our coming soon section, this is one of my favorite sections because we get to look to the horizon and we get to analyze trailers or posters or any fun things that have come out over the past week. So this week we're going to be honing in on two things. The first one is <coughs> King. Sorry. So Kings, my Kings, my fellow Kings, what do you think of the King? So let's start with our first King, Sir Christian. <laughs> I'm so happy. I've been. I'm crowned the king. I, I'm. I'm thrilled. <laughs> uh, we've talked in in previous pods about how much uh, I personally love these historical epics. I I love history. I adore this stuff. Um, it looks like uh, when I read a little bit of the background of this, this, this is actually going to be based on the life of Henry V and the stories that William Shakespeare wrote about Henry mm. V, which were very, of course, romanticized and everything like that. But Henry V turned England into the preeminent European power uh, mm. after the battles with France. And uh, in addition, you know, the Hundred Years' War and stuff like that, he was the precursor to the entire Tudor dynasty. If you love that era, you love the Tudors, that show, uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, uh, all those, you know, the other Boleyn girl, all those movies, I think you're going to really like this. Um it really blew me away when I watched the trailer, and I got to say it. I got to throw it out there. Robert Pattinson and his French accent did, <laughs> wow. did a pretty good job. It was okay. I mean, I, you know, now I'm not French, so I don't know a French guy might turn around and say he was crap. Uh, but, uh, you know, listening to him there, I was like, that that sounds pretty good. I think Brad Pitt is a producer on this movie mm. uh, as well. I was reading. Um, it's, it's under that uh, Plan B banner mm -hmm. uh, that, wow. that he's a part of. Good, so They do good shit. They do. Um, and it, Joel Edgerton, Edgerton is in it. Uh, it. It's got a really good cast. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll let you talk about the actual filming of it because I'll let you bring that up. We were talking about it a little bit before the pod. Uh, the other historical epic that I saw from Netflix was the one with Chris Pine where he was Robert the Bruce. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it wasn't truly historically accurate, but man, that was a good flick. That was a good flick. So if they can bring some of that in and really bring that romanticism from that era, uh, give us some of the war, because we do want to see the war with France, I'm sure, and everything, and, and see this young prince growing into his own as Henry V, I think it's going to be a really good movie. So uh, I was kind of on my radar, and I'm really happy I watched the trailer. I, 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 it comes out very soon, so I, I really want to stream this with my wife and, and sit back and watch it. I, I'm into this stuff. Cool. Paul, what do you think of the king? Sir Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Sir Paul. Well, like like Christian, I I love historical epics. Uh, but unlike Christian, I know very little about history. I spent most of high school history drooling on my desk. So <laughs> for me, this is my my chance as an adult to watch um, to see history brought to life in a way that both um, you know makes an entertaining movie, but also sparks my interest in going back and doing mm -hmm. a little research outside of the movie. And and to me. Um, 
I, I find that really fun. Uh, you watch the movie and then you go figure out what really happened and you see how close the movie was to real life. And uh, mm-hmm. so so that excites me about the historical epics. Um, and this one in particular, I think, looks great. I mean, the trailer looks uh, looks high, looks like a high quality film. Uh, the the cast looks great. They've they've got my interest and I'm looking forward to it coming out. All right. I, I mean, for me, I absolutely like love this trailer and i love it for different reasons than you guys love it i'm not a history buff although i do know some pockets of history genghis khan world wars <laughs> some african history uh but i'm very uh ignorant of european history so mm-hmm. this is going to be very educated for me as well as entertaining but technically the look of the film, the cinematography is breathtaking. I've Beautiful. always had a beef, and I will continue beefing with Netflix until they fully convince me otherwise. Here a it comes. Of, Here it comes. A lot of their stuff looks cheap. A lot of their stuff is shot digitally. A lot of their stuff doesn't look good. Okay? And I wish that they were like the other streaming services, like HBO, like Amazon Prime like Hulu, in which their directors had the creative latitude to either shoot on film or shoot on digital and not be constrained creative to one. However, as soon as I saw the trailer for this, I knew I had to go and look and see what sort of cameras they used, what sort of print film medium they used uh, sensors they used lenses all that stuff i'm into that stuff and the reason why this looks so good looks so cinematic looks so prestige is because it is shot on film now as far as i know there are only two netflix original um productions that have been shot on film and when i say film i mean photochemical film like actual film that you can roll you know rolls of film not a digital camera and the two are The Irishman, about 75% of that was shot on film. And when you see the trailer, I haven't yet seen it. When you see the trailer, you can tell. And mm-hmm. this as well. And it just looks amazing. I mean, the contrastiness of it, the, the, the blacks look inky black. The texture of it has this almost painterly quality to it. There's a grain to it. And for a film that's a historical film, having that sort of vintage look that film gives it is very appropriate it doesn't look crisp and new and super slick and super you know modern it has that sort of antique feel to it and it just it looks spectacular i'm gonna watch it for the cinematography alone i'm gonna watch it and just from the trailers i can confidently say that in our podcast where we you know, later on in the year where we're going to talk about awards contenders and stuff, I can confidently see that there's a high probability that the King is going to be uh, up there for best cinematography for me. So that would be fantastic. I mean, it's, it, I would love to see something like this uh, for net from Netflix. That's from right. That's ne- yeah. Right. yeah. So, I would love so to see Netflix, like Netflix. if anybody that works in Netflix or knows people in Netflix listening to this, or <laughs> if we can get a movement going Netflix allow everyone to shoot on film if they want to. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. All right. So the next trailer we're going to talk about is the big blockbustery one, and it's for The Mandalorian from the Star Wars franchise. Um, this eight episode series is going to be on Disney Plus. It's coming out next month. 
cost a whopping $125 million. Um, that's a lot of money and you can see on the screen. So let's start with Paul. Paul, you're a massive Star Wars fan. What do you think of The Mandalorian? Yeah, I think uh, I think this looks great. I mean, now I'm I'm not um, I'm not bouncing off the walls excited. I'm I'm still, uh, you know, with Disney Star Wars, there's always a little bit of cautious optimism. Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, you're getting into the, um, you know, going getting into the sort of minutia of uh, of these windows in between the episodic films, which I'm typically not a fan of. So in concept, I don't necessarily love this. I mean, it it looks like the whole you know, space western bounty hunter, but it's set between episode three and four. Mm -hmm. I'm 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 pretty tired of that time period. But the show does look really well made. Um, you know, Mandalorian bounty hunters are just cool, right? I mean, yeah. what kid what kid didn't think Boba Fett was the mm -hmm. coolest looking thing they'd seen next to Darth Vader, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, you know, is it a knockoff Boba Fett? Are we going to like this character? Are we going to say, are we going to say, why didn't you just give us Boba Fett? Um, are they going to tie in some of the other characters we know, like Sabine from Rebels, or you know, do we get a you know an appearance from anyone that we actually know from the material that's out there? Who knows? Um, but you know, it, uh, the production quality looks great. It looks like they're taking it seriously, which is good. Um, I tend to like Favreau's work as a director, so I'm uh, I'm going in with some with some guarded optimism. But so far, what we've seen looks uh, you know as good as it could look for uh, for the subject and the time period they're tackling. All right, so uh, Christian. What do you think? I, I got to throw it out there and say, of course, I'm the shill of the podcast. So I've already <laughs> pre-ordered my uh, my Disney Plus for an entire year. <laughs> nice. So I'll have, it, uh, I'll, I'll have it on day one. I'm pumped, man. I'm really pumped. Looking forward to this. I Some of the things that Paul said are definitely true. Um, is this a time period that we necessarily need to see again? I don't know. But what I will say is that when Disney has expanded and gone outside the Skywalker saga, and did something like with Rogue One. Rogue One was at its strongest when it wasn't necessarily connected to the Star Wars universe 100%. Mm. Mm. Uh, it was at its strongest when it was when it was talking about the themes of warfare and and mm -hmm. uh, you know the, 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 I remember when Cassian Andor said we've all done horrible things in the name of the rebellion and this is a time, this is how I redeem myself. You mm -hmm. know things like that. We question what is right and wrong. That's where Rogue One was strong. And if they go that route with this show. And don't necessarily have to connect it all over the place with the fledgling New Republic and everything like that. And just focus on Mandalore and the, the, the clan warfare that they have there. I think they got something on their hands. And they are, mm. they're not messing around. A hundred some odd million dollars. They're not screwing around. Yeah. And you got to – John Favreau can do a big movie like Iron Man and he can do Chef which is like one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, so I, I trust this guy 100% with this uh, with this IP. I think he's going to do it well, and I'd like to see them moving beyond just the Skywalker saga and the Force and the lightsabers and the Vader and this. Mm -hmm. Let, let's see something different. And Star Wars Rebels bought a side of Mandalore that I think we wanted. Yeah. We I think we'll want to see that explored. Mm -hmm. I do. I, yeah. So I, I think it's in good hands with John Favreau. Sign me up, man. Sign me up. All right. Well, you're already signed up, so <laughs> take my money. I mean, already take my money. For me, um, I, I echo your sentiments. I can't, you know, say more than you already have in terms of. Um, for me, I don't really know a lot of the the history of you know the Mandalorians, and I mean, I know 
I have, you know, the basic one-on-one -on -one knowledge, and this looks very promising. If this is going to be the series that the Disney Plus empire is built on, I think it's a very strong foundation. Mm -hmm. Star Wars, check. Uh, yeah. Invested a lot of money, check. It shows up <laughs> on the screen, check. You've got <laughs> really good actors in it, check. You've got a really good showrunner and director, check. All the boxes are checked so far for me and i wish them luck i really hope it's i really hope it's it's a good that I, I hope it turns out well one of the greatest things about star wars is not just the movies that we've had it's actually been the extended universe the amount of lore and world building that's out there that is that is the power of star wars Absolutely. at least for me it's always been because between the time of the OG trilogy and the prequels. A lot of people wrote books and had a lot of quote unquote fan fiction, but great fan fiction about what the world was. And then between the prequels and between, you know, the new trilogy, there was a lot of that. And that is the power of Star Wars. And I think stuff like The Mandalorian is fulfilling that promise of what people, Star Wars can be. People have definitely taken ownership of what George Lucas created, and some of them have gone above and beyond what he did, others maybe not so much, uh, but you're right, that is the beauty of Star Wars. Star, it, it touches so many people in a different way, and uh, you can tell when John Favreau was talking about this and making it, it's a labor of love for the guy. It really yeah. is. It's a labor of love. I, so I believe that as well. It shows. So that concludes our episode for today, guys. Um, it was fun. Yes, it we was. Agreed. We disagreed. We had some controversial opinions. I think one of us might get canceled. Any meaning? <laughs> exile. Here we go. <laughs> but let's sign off. Christian, where can the people find you on the internet you, to talk to you about film? If you'd like to yell at me about my opinions, you can get me on uh, Twitter at chart6363. And Paul, where can people find you? Yeah, well, once I once I get canceled here, uh, I'll probably need a few <laughs> friends. So uh, you can also reach me on Twitter at, uh, at underscore Paul underscore P. As for me, you can't cancel me. I've already canceled myself. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Live Love Lupe. It's been a blast chatting with you guys. It's been wonderful talking to you guys, the audience. Be sure to, you know, like, comment, subscribe, share this podcast with, you know, your friends and family. And join us next week for another episode of the Exiles News Network. Until then, stay exiled.